0: Uh, we're in Philippians. I only got through one verse last week, so le- let me pick up where we left off. Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. I'm just going to read it to you at first. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks. How appropriate is that? It? It's Thanksgiving weekend or coming up this week. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we said last week that the theme of this letter to the church at Philippi was joy. It's all about joy. But I want you to think about what the circumstances were, actually, of Paul when he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome. He's literally in an apartment-type setting, he's handcuffed to Roman soldiers. He's not around the church. That's why he's writing a letter to the church. He's literally alone. Alone. How many of you watch Alone on Netflix? Yeah, like a handful of you. Just the idea of being out someplace by yourself. Paul, he's broke, he's hungry, and he's by himself. Loneliness. Let me talk about that. In light of everything that has happened in our society and our world since 2020, loneliness was a thing before 2020, but it has been magnified since the pandemic. Literally, we were put into our places for weeks on end, not seeing anybody, not touching anybody, sometimes not even communicating with anybody. And then we developed these habits, these habits that caused us to be alone. And we kind of liked it that we sit at home and watch our Netflix at night, we have our series that we watch, and you just kind of like being alone. Well, let me read to you some statistics. In a recent national survey of American adults, 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness. 36% of adults feeling lonely frequently, or almost all the time, or basically all the time. This included 61% of young people aged 18 to 25. The most loneliest age group in our world is 18 to 25 years old. You, You think about that for a second. This is like college age is like right out of high school. And they're the most loneliest people on the face of the earth. Doesn't even make sense. And uh, and this also included 51% of mothers with young children. I say that being a mother with toddlers is one of the most difficult Points of life that you will ever experience it's one of the most loneliest times that you will ever experience because really honestly nobody wants to be around your kids i mean you have a hard time you have a hard time leaving them uh some of you have a hard time leaving them but really to like take them out in public it's a hassle and everything else and yeah so that can be one of the loneliest times 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. About half of lonely young adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they are doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Like, when, when... I was a youth minister, and I had, I had at one point like fifty volunteers working with me. Dan and Stacy, and they will tell you that in a world, this was this was back in the nineties. So things have changed, but in a world where loneliness wasn't already an issue, I encouraged my youth workers to touch the students. Not in a bad touch, but in a healthy, good touch. I I, I told them I didn't care what that was. Whether it's like a side hug, whether it's a high five, whether it's a a punch in the shoulder, just touch the students. Because I, I honestly believe that our kids can go around the world, the parents don't touch them, their friends don't touch them, their teachers definitely don't touch them now. They never get touched, and we were made to be touched in a healthy way, a healthy way. I I get it that, you know, our society is all about perversion and everything else, and we're scared because people are making bad choices. I, I get all that, but just to come here and to, like, feel the warmth of this group and to be around people and everything else, it's an absolute need. Young adults suffer higher rates of both loneliness and anxiety and depression than ever before. We, we literally, I sat around the table at Torchy's Wednesday night with my high school students and we talked about what makes them anxious. High school kids. This whole loneliness thing, it's, it's a real deal. Young adults are twice as likely to be long, lonely than seniors like the senior adults my 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 dad he's probably listening hey dad Uh, he he moved into a retirement home this year and he's always sending me pictures of all the parties that they're having and hanging out with people and everything else and i'm like he is not lonely he figured it out he lived alone and he moved into a retirement center and, and i mean he he drives he's he drove to branson missouri he's He's driving to Nashville this week with my sister, and I mean, they're not lonely when you would think that they might be the loneliest. 79% of adults aged 18 to 24 report feeling lonely compared to 41% of seniors aged 66 and older. That's consistent with even earlier research that happened before the pandemic. More than twice as many younger adults as older adults experience feeling left out. More than two in five adults, 42%, aged 18 to 34, report always feeling left out compared to just 16% of people aged 55 or older who say the same. Men and women have roughly the same likelihood of loneliness. 50% of men and 59% of women reported being lonely. Loneliness levels were close to equal in 2018 as well, with 53% of men and 54% 54 of women reporting feeling of loneliness. In 2019, data showed a spike in loneliness among men with 63% experienced loneliness compared to 58% of women. There was a book written it, it, it's, not just, it's not just the pandemic, all right? It's not, just the, it's not just since 2020. There was a book written in the year 2000, and it was called uh, Bowling Alone. Like, when we moved to uh, Indianapolis in 1989, Dale Speckman's father ran a bowling league at our church. And we were literally, in 1989, as 25-year-olds, I'm 58, so you don't have to sit there and do the math. As 25-year-olds, we were placed on a bowling team with Dale and Shelly Speckman 32 years ago, which is kind of crazy. But bowling leagues were a deal. People got together. Now, this is one of the most crowded places on a weekend, Friday and Saturday night, this Pinheads place, but hardly anybody participates in a league. They, they literally come here with a small group of people and they bowl within their family. And he's talking about this whole, this whole book back in 2000 talked about family dinners are down 33%. Think about that. If it's 22 years later and after the pandemic, man, fast food is like booming right now. Going out to eat is a lot easier than it is to fix a meal at home. Having friends over is down 45%. Readiness to make new friends is at a low of 33%. Isolation in America is at its highest point. Now let me tell you about isolation. I'm saying all this because this is where Paul was. He he's totally isolated. But as I spoke, I believe, about three weeks ago about spiritual warfare, about what the evil one likes to do, is he likes to isolate. He likes to get us alone. Because what do you do when you think? When, when you're alone, you think. Sorry, threw the punchline out there first. When, when you're alone, all, all you do is think. You can't turn it off. You lay in bed at night And you try to turn it off, and all you're doing is thinking. And we've said before in here, you're going to get your thoughts from three three places. You're going to get your thoughts from three places. One is your brain, all your experiences that you had with, with your five senses, all logged into your brain. So all your experiences that you had are here, and so your thoughts come from that, your experiences. Two, I believe as a child of God that I have the spirit of God living inside of me and he speaks to me very clearly. So I get thoughts from my heavenly father. That's pretty awesome to think about. Like literally, Jeannie and Danny were up here listening to the father speak to them while they spoke to you. I'm doing the same thing. And then there's that third source that we get our thoughts. It's it's what we call pos short for a lot of things but it's the power of sin that dwells in our flesh and it's like all of a sudden i'm getting these like crazy demented evil thoughts that i i'm not the one that's manufacturing those thoughts it's this power that's like dwelling in my flesh and it's not me that's creating that why because i'm a new creation i'm holy i'm righteous i'm redeemed i'm forgiven how in the world could i be creating those thoughts it doesn't even make sense but i sit there at night i sit there in my isolation and i have those same thoughts that you have pretty wicked pretty wicked and so literally this is where paul is it's in isolation He's he's thinking about his situation as he writes this letter, and you, you think about this for a second. Uh, people really get disconnected and lonely, and it becomes epidemic. Uh, did did God create us because He was lonely? He actually had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've always been together. But the reason that you and I were created is because they wanted to include us in that relationship. That's the whole reason that we're here. Is that we could be included in what God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit wants for our lives. That's pretty awesome that they want to include me and they want to include you. It's pretty crazy to think about. Our culture and even our church tells you that the answer to loneliness is a friend. The church will tell you you should have an accountability partner. <laughs> accountability partner, uh, I, I would say you need to have friends. And and here's here's the thing is, My friends don't have to ask me what's going on in my life. They know what's going on in my life because we have a friendship. We're open with one another. And so you have to let it go. Okay, well then what's the answer to this? What's what's the answer to overcoming loneliness? If the church says it's accountability partner and you're saying it's not, what is it? Well, I'll tell you what Paul says. Paul literally says, it's that we become in partners for the gospel. And and here's here's the incredible thing. As I sit here and I look out here at this group of people, and I absolutely know that we're on the same team. That we think alike, that we're processing alike, and that this thing is actually working for us, And all of a sudden, we want to tell other people about it. And I look out here, and I sit here, and I think about all the stories of where this thing is going. And I'm just absolutely stoked about it. And so I sit here, and I look at his letter. Verse 2, he says, Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. There is no condemnation in this room. I know what you do. You know what I do. And there's no condemnation. Why? Because there's grace. Grace from Jesus Christ who died on the cross and forgave us of all of our sins. And then when we we received that grace, it took me a long time because I was I was literally trained to be judgmental in the church. I really was. I was trained Oh, it's not me. <laughs> I was trained literally to like be a judge of people's behaviors. And then once I realized, once I realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross once and he forgave me of all my sins and that I was completely forgiven of everything that I have done in the past, everything that I'm currently doing and everything I'm going to do in the future, he's already dealt with, he's already dealt with it. That's what we call grace. Once I learned that about myself, all of a sudden I was able to see it with everybody else because that's what grace does. Grace to you and peace from our God. Grace is given along with repentance. And when grace is given to you, it leads to peace. It's not peace then grace, it's grace then peace. We once were objects of wrath. Now there's no condemnation in this room. That ought to make you pretty happy. And this peace, this peace in this room... Allows you to be okay with everybody's gooberishness. We're all goobers. We all make stupid choices. We all do stupid things. We have weird personalities, and I'm okay with you. I'm. I'm I hope you're okay with me. Then. He says this, verse three: I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. He's got, He's got memories. He's created memories. I think that's one of the things that, if there's anything that we try to do inside of Leavener, aside from you, you think it's about the teaching on Sunday morning, but it's really about just being together and being heard, being heard, being loved, being respected. That's that's really why you're here. It's, it's not because of this. But one of the other things that we do is we try to create memories. I want my, I want my kids, I want my students, I want everybody to, to have fond memories of us being together and doing stupid stuff and just having a good time. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. And he's sitting here saying, I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you. Great memories versus the bitter memories. And I, I believe that God can help us create Powerful new memories, especially inside of our marriages. Verse 4, he says, Always praying with joy. 14 times he says joy in this letter. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. If he's using joy like throughout this letter, don't you think he knew something? Don't you think like it? it if he's in prison and he's isolated and he's alone and he's hungry and he's got all these thoughts going through his head, yet he mentions joy 14 times, he's got something figured out here. And his joy, his joy is the thinking, the process of forwarding the gospel, the good news to others. That was what his whole thing was. Let me encourage you, tell tell the people about the good news of, of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Ah! I was in Tulsa for a funeral a few weeks ago and I ran into some friends and they were going to the Antarctica. Yeah, they were going to the Antarctica. She had planned this whole trip and she literally was like freaking about the trip that she planned. Like they're at the airport getting ready to leave and she's having a panic attacks, anxiety about the trip that she planned. And I looked at her, I said, look, Here's the difference between fear and hope. Here's the difference between fear and hope. They are both projecting into the future, right? They're both thinking about the future, what's going to happen. But the difference is, fear is always about the negative thing that's going to happen. Hope is about the positive thing that's going to happen. Like, you planned this thing. It's a tourist thing. You're going to be fine, and they were great. She came back, and they saw penguins and everything else, and they had a great time, but it's all about what we forecast, foretell into the future. We can either do fear, or we can do hope. And Paul's sitting here saying, our hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm focused on, not being locked up here in isolation next to this Roman soldier. <laughs> if anybody was going to be depressed and have anxiety and fear it had to have been Paul but he's figured something out verse 5 it says because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now i am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ jesus gospel partnership we are in this thing together And sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes we get ourselves into a pickle. And he says, you know what? Stay focused. There's good news. There's forgiveness. And we're going to project hope into the future. Like, I believe that I'm sure, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion. Like, it's going to be done. It may not look like you thought it was going to look, but it will be done. We're moving forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've endured rough times. We've endured it. Some of us are still enduring it. Some of us have terrible memories. But I believe as partners in the gospel we're going to create good memories in the future. God's going to replace he's literally, he's going to replace those terrible memories with good ones. He's not, he says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'll bring it to completion. You just have to trust me. You might not be able to see it right now. Some of you are going, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to forget that. My God's a little bit bigger than your memories. He can do it. He can do it. Like, he's already forgot your sin. Is there anything greater than that? God's forgot your sin. If he can do it, he can do it in you. I believe it with all my heart. Verse seven, says, "'Indeed, it is right for me to think this way "'about all of you because I have you in my heart, "'and you're all partners with me in grace, "'both in my imprisonment and in the defense "'and confirmation of the gospel. "'They're all partakers of grace.'" For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It changes our heart for people, and it causes us to pray for others. That's literally what he's doing. Paul is compelled to be a compassionate man because of the truth of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all he's thinking about. You can't tell me that he didn't have terrible thoughts. But all he's writing about was the good things that are to come. Paul was a killer. He was a murderer. He killed people. He killed Christians. At one point he said, is there any sinner worse than me? I literally killed people who believe in Jesus. But he's not thinking about that. Now he's literally encouraging people who follow Jesus. He's loving people. he's, He's talking to them. He's praying for them. He realizes that his life is not about himself, but it's about other people. The same thing that Jesus did when he came here. It was about everybody else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I believe that prayer overcomes a lot of things, and so now he's literally writing them to encourage them. he says, and I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment not not knowledge is like the fact thing, like reading the Bible and having knowledge, but discernment I believe that comes from the spirit of God like if you, if you want wisdom, find a person that is pursuing the Lord and seek them for wisdom because they have been given discernment. He says, <clears throat> that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior the things that are excellent. I get a lot of things presented to me. You should do this. You should try this. You should. I get should on a lot. <laughs> and my discernment, my discernment says, okay, what's good? I don't want to do good. I want to do the superior. I want to do the excellent. Of all the shoulds that people give it to me, what's going to rise to the top here? What's the best? There's a lot of good things out there. I hear you, I hear you. But what's things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ? (laughs) You know those spiritual gift test things? I failed the mercy side of it. I've failed that, but it's the understanding of the gospel that allows me to love others. Like mercy will come from me, not because it's me, but it's because of Christ in me. He's doing it. Mercy is shown. Grace is shown. Forgiveness is shown. And it's based upon the discernment and the trust that I have from Jesus for other people. And then the last verse I look at today. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. It comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Righteousness. (laughs) Let me sit there for a second. Righteousness. Abraham in Genesis, before circumcision, before the law for anything he had to do, it says that he believed, and he was credited righteousness. He was, it was credited; hadn't come yet, but he was going to receive it. And the point that he receives it is when Jesus actually died on the cross for all of his sins. Then Abraham was made righteous. You, my friends, you're on the backside of the cross. He's already died. His blood has already been poured out. There is nothing more that can be done for your sin. It has been dealt with. You are forgiven. Watch. You have been made righteous. You have been made right with God. There's nothing else you can do. Being here doesn't get you more righteous. You're as righteous as can be. Second Corinthians 5:21 says, "He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, you are the righteousness of God." Ha What'd you do? You believed. You believed, just like Abraham. He wasn't walking down the aisle in church, wasn't even saying a prayer. It's just the fact that you believed. (laughs) You gave Jesus your sin, and he literally gives you righteousness. That's pretty awesome to think about. Your legal standing before God, but it's also your lifestyle now. If you come to understand your righteousness, your identity, and everything else, all of a sudden it changes your lifestyle. Like, you walk out of this door knowing that you're holy and you're righteous, that you're forgiven, it changes everything you do outside. So, literally, I was coming to church and I was always told to ask for forgiveness and I'd go outside and I'm like, oh, I'd blew it again. And I repeat the process over and over and over. You know, you, you know the process. And once I told I was forgiven one time, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. I was told that I had to do that every night, but then I realized that I did that when I was eight years old, and he says he cleansed me from all unrighteousness. that it was a one-time process. And so now I I walk, I live in forgiveness. I live in a state of forgiveness. No, yeah, I'm free to go out and do whatever I want, but I don't want to because I know what he did for me. I know what he... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it it, it comes down to this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned seven times in the first 11 verses that we just read. Seven times. It's all about Jesus. This community is only together because of Jesus. We all believe different things in here. I can sit here and have theological discussions with you, and we're all going to like have different ideas about what this means and what this means and what's going to happen and everything else, but it comes down to one thing. We are all on the same page, and that Jesus Christ, and we're moving forward with this good news to the world. That's it. It's Jesus. So I started with loneliness, and I have to ask the question, uh, is loneliness a bad thing? No. Sometimes God uses lonely times. He uses lonely times for us to draw near to him. You might be in isolation. You might find yourself alone. But it might be for a season. But it's a great opportunity to get near the Father. To know him. To know that he loves you. Jesus, look, Jesus was found many, many times in lonely experiences. You go to the garden of Gethsemane and he's asking his disciples to stay awake and pray for him. And he's over there by himself, bleeding. And he comes back and his disciples are asleep. He he got up early in the morning and he would go and pray to his father. It's like his energy for the day. He voluntarily withdrew from people. So loneliness isn't always bad. And then you think, he he was utterly alone on the cross with all our junk. You think about your junk. He's got it all. was there ever a time that was more lonely than that and here here's the beauty of it he He can sympathize with me because he walked here on earth and he took my sin. He was in the flesh he had he had those thoughts. Of sin was in the garden of Gethsemane, he was bleeding. He had those thoughts. He didn't act on them, but he had those thoughts that I have. He was perfect. But he's not just some God that sits up on the throne. He came here. And he made me righteous with his blood. Hebrews 12 I read this last week. I read it again. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, oh, let us let us come to the reality of what you have done for us. Every day may we be stirred in our hearts and our minds our emotions, what you have done for us. And as we experience that and as we walk in that, may we be able to express that in our actions, in our words, and just let it be natural. Not something forced, not something memorized, not something that's a responsibility, but it's just our way of life because it's you and us. So I thank you for my friends that are here today and are even listening that we're on the same team, the Jesus team, your team. I trust you with us, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.